If I haven't said it yet, my name is Kyle, and I have the honor and privilege of serving as the pastor here at Crossroads Christian Church. And today, um, I get to open up the Word of God with you. Um, Happy Mother's Day, Crossroads. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I hope today you are reminded um, about how very special the gift of a godly mother is in your life. Um, And mom, if you're watching online, I love you, grateful for you. Thank you for demonstrating um, the work of God in your life to me as I was growing up. Um, Today, we're going to talk about generational faith. We're going to talk about generational faith. Um, In case you don't know what that term is, um, generational faith is faith that is passed down from one generation to the next. And church, this is actually a very relevant topic for each of us and for all of us, because the last time I checked, none of us will physically live on earth forever. Maybe you have a plan I don't know about, but none of us will physically live on earth forever. One day we will die and there will be those who come behind us. So if they are to learn about the faith that we have in Jesus, we must have a plan to disciple them and to teach them in the ways of Jesus. And to learn more about generational faith, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today uh, from the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is where we're going to be, so if you have your Bibles and you want to make your way there, while you're finding your way to the first chapter of 2 Timothy, let me give you just a little bit of background on what this book is about. Uh, This book was written by Paul. Um, Paul was a prisoner in Rome when he wrote this letter uh, to his protege, Timothy. Um, Paul was a powerful uh, spiritual figure in Timothy's life and a mentor to him as he grew up in the faith and in the ministry. The purpose of this letter is to encourage Timothy in his ministry at the church of Ephesus. And interestingly enough, this is like Bible trivia for you, this letter is thought to be Apostle Paul's last letter in Scripture before he was beheaded, before he was martyred for following Christ. Now, you're going, Kyle, it's Mother's Day. Why are we talking about a particular letter from the Bible written over 2,000 years ago that was written from one guy to another on Mother's Day? Why is that what we're talking about? Um, Well, there's actually something in here that's pretty interesting. Uh, Paul says that there is a faith in Timothy that Paul describes as sincere faith, sincere faith. And he says this faith was passed down to Timothy by his grandmother and his mother. Thus, the faith of a godly mother is mentioned specifically in Scripture as being vitally important to the faith of Timothy and to God's church in Ephesus, where Timothy is leading. So let's dive into the Scripture passage today. Again, we're in 2 Timothy, the first chapter, and we're going to start in verse 3. And the words should be coming up behind me, or if you have it in your Bibles, just read along with me. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control." So the first thing that I want you to see from this passage is that a mother's faith is a gift. A mother's faith is a gift. So as we just read, Paul tells us that Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were both followers of Jesus. Uh, Lois and Eunice's faith, it was imparted to the next generation. And they no doubt viewed their responsibility, um, that their responsibility of discipling their children was an honor 
and they viewed what they were doing as a gift that they could give to their children. I don't know a parent in the world that doesn't love to give a gift to their children and to see the expression on their child's face um, when they give that gift. This is undoubtedly how Lois and Eunice viewed the passing down of their faith to Timothy as a responsibility and honor and a gift. Um, there's an unbreakable bond between mother and child. We, we know this is true, right? Um, dads, not trying to leave you out. I'm a dad myself. But there's almost something that's like almost reflexive about the cry of a child for mommy when they're in danger or when they're hurt or when they're scared. Now again, dads, I'm not trying to leave you out. I'm, I'm one of you myself. Um, dads, tell me if this is true or not. You could be right by your child's side when they get hurt or they're scared or they think they're in danger. You could be right there, right by their side. You could have the first aid kit, the stuffed animal and the dinosaur chicken nuggets at the ready. You could have them at the ready, like ready to roll and they would blow past you straight into their mother's arms 99% of the time, right? Maybe this is just my household, I don't know. Um, you guys aren't laughing, so I guess maybe not. All right, um, um, all joking aside though, let's talk about a, a mother's uh, faith in the life of Timothy. The godly influence of Timothy's mother and grandmother certainly influenced him as he grew up in their care. Uh, church historians and scholars tell us that Timothy's father was an unbeliever, like he was an unbelieving Gentile, and he chose not to follow Christ. Um, thus, he is not mentioned in this passage, if you notice. There's no mention of Timothy's father, um, uh, and there's no mention of Timothy's father passing down his faith or the gift of faith to his son. Um, and that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. But Timothy grew up watching his mother and his grandmother follow Christ, and in he allowed their genuine faith in Jesus Christ to influence um, every aspect of their lives and his life. So think about this. If you're following Jesus, and if you're intentional about following Jesus, everything in your life changes. How you speak to your children changes when you're a follower of Jesus. How you budget and spend your money ought to change when you're a follower of Jesus. How you plan your schedule, how you plan the day, the week, the month, and the year ought to change a little bit um, as you follow Jesus. How you rest and how you trust in the Lord and how you Sabbath, um, that ought to change if you're a follower of Jesus. What you hope in changes, what you fear changes, how you handle guilt, shame, doubts, Jesus changes everything. And when you allow the gospel of Jesus to work in your heart and to begin to penetrate all the areas of your life, then you're actually giving a gift to those around you because other people are watching, specifically the next generation. They're watching you. Uh, there's a saying, more is, more is actually caught than taught. If you're a parent, you understand what that means. More is caught than taught. Um, you can tell your kids something, but the way you live your life demonstrates a lot more and will probably stick a lot longer than what you tell them. And they begin to see that the power of God is applicable to all areas of life. And they begin to see that following Jesus is what you might call a lifestyle, not just something you do on Sunday for an hour at a time. This is what the Bible calls sincere faith. And this is the faith that Paul says the women in Timothy's life demonstrated to him. And now that faith actually lives in Timothy himself. And so Paul's happy about that when he writes this letter. Um, this is a gift. Mothers, you can learn from the example of Lois and Eunice. And you can ask yourself, how are you giving this gift to your family? Are you demonstrating sincere faith to those around you? 
Are you allowing Jesus to speak into all areas of your life? Or are there areas, and I'll say mothers and fathers and parents and people in general, uh, this is for all of us, are there areas of your life where you are not setting that example or you're holding something back from Jesus? Think of it this way. Um, think, about, think about your apartment, right? Or if, you, if, you, if you're one of the blessed people that has a house, think about your house, but your apartment, your house, where you live. Think about the rooms that are in your house and think about um, the doors that are in front of all those rooms, okay? So you're picturing the rooms in your house, you're picturing the doors. Picture that all those doors are closed and locked. They're all closed and locked. Now, before I tell you the rest of the story, fun fact, our apartment actually doesn't have any doors that lock except the exterior one. Um, I don't know why that is. Um, I'm just giving you a warning, like, you know, avoid the awkward moment, always knock, always knock in, in our apartment. Uh, if you're coming over and visiting, always knock. No, no rooms have a, have a door that locks. Um, it is what it is, you've been warned. Now think about it, go back to, picture your apartment, picture all those rooms. Assume that these rooms represent a part of your life. They represent a part of your life. And you're opening up one by one, room by room, door by door to Jesus. You're opening those rooms to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want you to be ruler of this area of my life, of this room of my life, this part of my life. I want you to be ruler of this part of my life. So maybe you're following Jesus and you've given Jesus the key, not in my apartment, but maybe in yours, the key to the safe rooms of your life, the safe rooms, the ones that you feel comfortable with giving Jesus the key to. But there's that one room, there's that one room, that one part of your life, and that's the room that you're like, ah, yeah, Jesus, uh, not sure about giving you the key to that room. I'm not sure I want you to necessarily speak into that part of my life. So let me just keep that one locked, and I'm just going to divert your attention to all these other beautiful rooms over here. But that's the room, church. That's the part of your life, church, that Jesus wants to go after. That's the part of your life that he is going to be interested in and that he says, but that belongs to me too. Allowing Christ to work in all areas of your life demonstrates that Jesus is Lord and that his way is the way. This is the sincere faith that Paul's talking about here. This is the gift that you can pass on to the next generation. Timothy sees this in his mother. He sees it in his grandmother. And he came to faith in Christ himself. And then Paul says his life begins to demonstrate that same sincere faith. And praise God for that. The second thing I want you to see, you must fan the flame of faith. You must fan the flame of faith. In verse 6, Paul uses uh, some pretty strong language to encourage Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. That's what he says, fan into flame the gift of God. Um, I assume everyone here has seen a flame or a fire um, at some point in their lives. And when you fan a flame or when you take something and you like wave it in front of the flame, like you're waving it right in front, what, what happens? The flame increases, right? The, the, the flame feeds off of that extra oxygen and it grows in intensity. This is why when you hear about wildfires, um, the wind forecast is always really important. Like, they talk, like if you're watching a news story or something on, on wildfires, they always talk about like how windy it is. The wind forecast matters because it affects the intensity of the fire, right? Um, the windier it is, the more the fire can spread. Wind fans the flame of the fire. 
And Paul uses this illustration to encourage Timothy to grow in his faith by using the gifts that God has given him. This word is not just for Timothy, church, but this word is for us today. You see, this has two parts. There's the gift of faith, and then there's the discussion of spiritual gifts. So let's kind of break those down together and walk through them. The gift of faith. Timothy's sincere faith. Um, it's demonstrated by Lois and Eunice. It's a model for us of what true faith in Christ looks like. This kind of faith is a free gift that God has given to us who believe in Jesus Christ. And without faith, we cannot be saved and we cannot follow God on his mission. We cannot uh, do what God has called us to do apart from faith. Uh, Hebrews 11.6, um, which I believe right now is our Crossroads Kids memory verse uh, for our kids. But Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We must keep fanning the gift of flame by staying connected to the one that we, that we have um, faith in. I'm sorry, we must keep fanning the flame of faith. I said the gift of flame, that's weird. Um, we must keep fanning the flame of faith by staying connected to the one that we have faith in, and that's Jesus Christ. This is why Christians are always using words. If you may, maybe you've been in church and you're like, I hear these church words and I don't really know what they mean. This is why they use words like abiding, communing, walking with, maybe. Um, it's through a daily, continual, unceasing relationship with Jesus that we fan the flame of faith. And as we spend more time with him, we begin to know him more, and we begin to become more like him, and we begin to do the things that he did. And this all starts with the gospel, church. This all starts with the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Because the gospel teaches us that while we were sinners, while we were running away from God, while we were fighting in rebellion against God, while we were trying to get out of whatever he had for us, God sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life in our place and to die the death that we deserved. Jesus took upon himself all the guilt, all the shame, and the wrath of God in our place so that we could be made right with God. Jesus does this for us. And after he died, the Bible tell, uh, tells us that he rose again on the third day um, according to the scriptures, and he defeated sin and he defeated death once and for all. And now he stands, Jesus, he stands with his hand out to us, and, and he invites us. He says, I have a free gift here of eternal life. And he offers it to those who will stop striving and stop trying to please him on their own and stop running away from God. He says, come to me. He says, I have the gift right here. All you have to do is receive it. Jesus offers eternal life to those who repent of their sins and who trust in him for salvation. And he makes, that a, he makes it a free offer. He gives it. And as we remember the gospel and as we preach it back to ourselves over and over and over, as we do that daily, we grow in our faith and we fan the flame of faith. So that's the first part is the gift of faith. And Paul rejoices. He says, I see that this faith is in you, Timothy. Fan it. But then he talks about spiritual gifts also. So God gives spiritual gifts to every believer. So every believer, so if you're in here and you would consider yourself to be a follower of Christ because you've placed your faith and your trust in him, uh, the Bible says that you have a spiritual gift. Maybe you have one, maybe you have multiple, you have one. <laughs> you have a spiritual gift. Now these gifts and the mix of gifts that you might have are unique to each person, and that's for God to give. But they fall in common categories. Teaching, preaching, administration, generosity, hospitality, 
Some people have the gift of serving. Some people have the gift of encouraging others. Some people have the gift of leadership. Some people have the gift of wisdom or discernment or mercy. These are good gifts that God gives his people, that God gives his children. He's like the best mother or father that wants to give a gift. (laughs) They want to give a gift to their child. And God gives us those gifts. It's so awesome. And Paul encourages Timothy and to us to not let these gifts sit idle. He says, use these regularly for the building up of God's people, for the building up of the church. Use these gifts. These gifts are to be used inside the church, and they're also to be used in our city to bless others and to show other people what Jesus is like. This means that if you're a follower of Jesus, God has spiritually gifted you with something or multiple things that he's created you to do better than the average person. Some people go, well, how do I know what my gift is? And one of the first questions I'll say, I'll be like, you know, this is church, so don't act like you have to give a fake church answer. But like, what are you like above average at <laughs> when compared to the common person? What, what has God made you to do exceptionally better than most people? And you actually find joy in doing that. And there's an opportunity for you, for you to use that. So what are you better at? Where's there an opportunity for you to use it? And what do you love the most? Where those three things are, you might be zeroing in. You might start to be closing in on what a, on what a gift is for you, what God has given for you. Um, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a spiritual gift or you have multiple. And what's kind of funny is as a pastor, I often have to convince people uh, that they have a role to play in the life of the church. I know this sounds silly to some of us, but I often have to convince people Um, like, hey, you have a role to play in the life of the church. Um, And I think it's especially silly when we look at what the Bible says about people using their gifts in the church. Think about this. In the Bible, in the scriptures, God uses ordinary, everyday people, not pastors, not professional Christians, not paid Christians. Um, He uses ordinary, everyday people to do the work of the ministry. If you don't believe me, listen to what the Bible says. In Ephesians, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The role of the pastor is not to do all of the ministry. It is to equip you. (laughs) The role of the pastor is not to do all of the ministry. It is to equip you, to help you. Pastors in the church organization, you know what we're like? We're like the Home Depot. You remember those ads? You can do it. We can help. You can do it. We can help. It's an equipping role that I play, kind of like a coach. Um, but you actually, this is the cool part, you get to actually take the field and, and play in the game. The coach never steps on the court or the ice or the field in any sport unless they're arguing with the ref, which they're not supposed to do. The coach doesn't get on the field and actually do anything. He's equipping the players to go do it. And another thing to mention is, did you know that in the book of Acts, 39 out of the 40 miracles that are recorded actually happen outside the walls of the church? 39 of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts happen outside the walls of the church. And that's good news. That means that it's not just pastors and professional or paid Christians that God has called to do the work of the ministry. And by the way, God doesn't call those who are already equipped and ready to go. That's not typically how he works. If you read the Bible, you see that. If you live long enough in church world, you kind of see that too. 
Um, he doesn't call those who are already equipped. He equips those who he has called. So God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So the spiritual gift that God's given you, Paul's saying to Timothy and he's saying to us, fan it, in, like fan the flame. Fan it into a flame. Grow it, spread it, strengthen it, use it. And by the way, if you want to know more about your spiritual gift and maybe how to use them um, or kind of what they might be, that's a conversation I will have with you anytime. So just reach out to me and we'll set something up. I would love to help you discover that as best I can and help you be able to know how to spend time with God to really learn kind of how he has gifted you. And as, a, as an aside to that, I just want to speak to parents and those who have influence over young people um, for just a moment. Fan the, gift, fan the flame of the gift of God in the lives of those around you. Fan that flame in the lives of those whom you have influence over. Encourage a child to read and to watch and to experience the things of God from a young age. If you have young people in your home and, and, and you have that window, uh, that opportunity still, um, encourage a child to read, watch, and experience as much as they can about the things of God. Allow them an inside look as much as you can into your own faith in God and how it affects the way you think and the way you live. Bring them into your relationship with God at age-appropriate levels. Let them see how God has worked in you and point them, point them, point them, point them to Jesus. When they're having a bad day, point them to Jesus. When they're super excited and having the best day, point them to Jesus. The main point in this is this. Life in the fallen and sinful world that we live in, it's going to do everything that it can to extinguish your faith. It's going to try. It's going to try hard. So do not let your faith sit unused, but instead fan the flame of your faith. Remember the gospel. Use the gifts that God has given you. Um, the man that founded the Salvation Army, his name is General Booth, he once sent this message to those under him. He said, the tendency of a fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. He said, fire kind of has a tendency to burn itself out and to go out. So watch the fire on the altar of your heart. If you've ever, had, if you've ever been responsible for a fire, whether that's a campfire or maybe in a fireplace, you know this is true. It has to be stirred up. Do the same with the gifts God's given you. Fan the flame by remembering the gospel and using your gifts for God's glory. He's given them to you, not so you can look awesome, but for his glory. The third thing I want you to see from this passage, generational faith leaves a legacy. Generational faith leaves a legacy. Let's get back to Mother's Day now. Praise God for the godly mothers and grandmothers that are mentioned in the Bible as examples for us. Now, time, um, time of service, length of service, planning center um, services does not permit me to list all the godly examples of faith in the Bible, um, of women in the Bible, but here's just a few. Sarah, God's promise of a redeemer was said to come through her, and at age 90, she bore Isaac, who was called the son of promise. Ruth and Naomi. Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law who returned to her people and showed Ruth the way of God. Ruth marries Boaz and becomes the great-grandmother of King David. Hannah. She prayed for a son and then dedicated him to the Lord after his birth. Mary, the mother of Jesus. She trusted God and followed his leading even when she didn't know what other people were going to think or what the outcome would be. 
This brings us back to Lois and to Eunice, Timothy's grandmother and mother, who passed down their faith um, in God to him. This is an example, church, of generational faith. And faithfulness, this, this kind of faithfulness specifically, in Christian history for over 2,000 years has happened over and over and over and over as those who have been entrusted with the gospel have passed down gospel truth to the next generation. Generational faith leaves a legacy, and what a beautiful, beautiful legacy that it is. So here we are today. All of us, everybody in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a recipient of generational faith. Think about it. If there was only one generation in all of Christian history, if there was one generation that got together and collectively just failed to show and share their faith— with the next generation, then none of us will be following Jesus today because who's going to tell us? The Bible, says, the Bible says that we come to faith because somebody shares what the gospel is with us from the word of God. Like if there's a generation that fails at that, then, then who, who of us is following Jesus? And if we fail at that, then who in the next generation is going to follow Jesus? Think of it like monetary deposits in a bank account. So for example's sake, let's say that God has deposited in, in your account a vast sum of money, a fortune. And we are given the task, the We are given the task, wow. Okay, let's go. All right. Um, we are given, uh, for example, let's say God's deposited a fortune into our bank account, and we are given the responsibility to guard it, to protect it, and to reinvest that money into the next generation. Our goal should be to multiply that deposit into the accounts of the next generation by the time we're dead. That should be our goal. We should multiply what God has given us into the accounts of the next generation. After all, the last time I checked, the Bible doesn't talk about us emptying our bank accounts to take it with us. We're instead to pass on that wealth to the next generation, that spiritual deposit. And in a similar way, Paul instructs Timothy to guard the truth and to leave a legacy of faith for the next generation. He says this, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I think that verse is on the screen right now, yes? Look at that verse closely. If you look close, you'll see that in one verse, there's four levels of disciple-making there. There's four levels of disciple-making in that verse. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me, that's level one, what you've heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, in trust, so we have level one, what you've heard from me, level two, in trust, to faithful men, level three, who will be able to teach others also, level four. So that means the message of the gospel that you heard from me, you are then to internalize. You are then to turn and entrust that to other people who are then to turn and tell other people. Four levels of disciple making and leaving a legacy of faith. And then look at what Paul writes to Timothy, just a few verses away from what we just read. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
Timothy is not alone, church, and we are not alone in the responsibility to guard the deposit of faith. We're not alone. The Holy Spirit, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, dwells within us, just as he has dwelled within believers for over 2,000 years. And he will always, always, always point us to the truth about Jesus, and he will always, always, always point us to the gospel. He never leaves us alone, and he will always correct us if we begin believing or teaching or trying to pass down something that is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. And so what are you doing, church? What are we doing as a church body with the deposit that God's placed in our accounts? How are we living and leading the next generation like Lois and Eunice did with Timothy? I know it's Mother's Day, but this part of the Bible isn't just for moms. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. And if you don't know where to start or how to live this out, here's a few ideas on how to leave a legacy of faith. First, start with your relationship with God. Is he where your hope is found? Is he your refuge in times of trouble? Is his word your guide for all of life? Is his grace what sustains you on the bad days? Second, prioritize Christ-centered gatherings. These are things like groups at crossroads, attending Sunday services, If you have children under your roof, Crossroads kids, Crossroads students, serving opportunities where you can serve inside the walls and outside the walls of the church. These shouldn't be the only things on your calendar. Hear me. These should not be the only things on your calendar, but they should take priority. If you're serious about leaving a legacy of generational faith, these things, they shouldn't be all that's on your calendar, but they they should be on, on, on there as a high priority. The definition of a priority is this. It's a thing that's regarded as more important than another. What's most important? It doesn't mean it's all you do, but it does mean that maybe you orient or you center your life around these things. Another another idea, you can model rest and Sabbath to those around you. Show others once a week what it looks like to be free from the distractions of technology and work and modern life. And show other people what it looks like to rest in God and to worship God. And all of this church, all of this can be summed up by saying, make following Jesus the number one priority in your life and in your house. And if you really do this, everyone around you will begin to notice the difference. And that's not why you're doing it, by the way. You're not doing it so that they see, you're not doing it so, so that they see like, hey, they checked off this list of things. It's not why you're doing it. We're doing it as a response to Jesus. But if you do this, everyone around you will notice There's a difference in your budget. There's a difference in your calendar. There's a difference in your rhythms and your seasons and your pace of life. Jesus kept a full schedule, church, but he was never hurried. He never rushed past what was important. Jesus was an expert at prioritizing, and he shows us the way. He shows us how to do it. Generational faith leaves a legacy, and that's a legacy that we all desire to leave behind for those who come after us. Lois did it. Eunice did it. Paul did it with many, and millions of Christians throughout history have all left this legacy. And so let's pray and let's ask God to leave this legacy in our time. Let's ask God to use us to leave this legacy. So if you will, as we close this part of our service, if you'll bow your heads and let's talk to God.
Father God, generational faith is a beautiful thing, God, and you model that for us. God, I just pray for everybody in here who knows you, who is called by your name, who you have saved and you have redeemed. God, I just pray that you would put on us, God, the weight of importance to these things, to leaving a legacy of faith for the next generation. And God, on Mother's Day, this isn't just for moms, it's for all of us. God, it's for every son and daughter of the King Jesus. And God, we just ask for your help in doing this. God, make us aware of it, but then by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, help us to do this in our day-to-day lives. God, we thank you so much that there were those in our lives, and it's different for all of us, God, but that there were those in our lives who shared the gospel with us, who told us about Jesus, who told us about who God is and what he's done. And God, that because of that, we were given the opportunity to repent and to trust in you. And so God, we just ask that you would use us to share that good news with others. In Jesus' name, amen.